live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. I'm thinking Vegas. I had to apologize for eating sushi off a model. I felt like in Vegas, if I'm the quarterback in Vegas, that's the halftime spread. This is the press box. (laughs) You should not have to apologize for that. Honestly. I understand it's 2020. I understand what we've got going on in terms of objectification and the Me Too movement. With Grady and Bischoff. In Vegas, that is part of the deal. If you're the quarterback at UNLV, that is, I just thought Why you that, go there? I thought it was part of the scholarship, the stipend, all of it. On ESPN Las Vegas. Max and Dak were so polite and lovely, and I just, I was quite surprised that it got so misconstrued and blown out of proportion. I would like to humbly move past this and focus my time and energy on our game against the blank this weekend. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Oh, is there any way Max Gillen can start the game tonight so he can have more <laughs> levitard on naked sushi models and what uh, the UNLV quarterback's supposed to be? He's not starting? <laughs> I think he's still on the depth chart. He might be. Or, or, and or. Poor Cameron Friel got bounced because they had to get the guy that has naked sushi models. Uh, ESPN 11 under 100.9 FM. It's Ed Tyler and Jared on a Thursday. A lot of guests today. Cool guests. But we'll start with the Rebels. The first bite. Is UNLV going to pay Eastern Washington and lose? Well, they're paying them. They are paying them. It's a buy game. Lose. Yeah. Uh, What's with me in this not knowing the spread? I don't know. It's minus one. It's now down to one? Yeah. When William Hill has them at uh, UNLV minus one. Bet MGM one and a half. I told you I got to get the readers. They're on, they're on order. So maybe I put an extra one in yesterday when I was looking at my computer. Because somewhere on Vegas Insider, I saw 11. And you and I were both, okay, that's crazy. I mean, take those points. But one makes a lot more sense. Still seems low. Still seems the other way crazy. You and only minus one? No, you think it should be UNLV like five, six, yeah, something. somewhere yeah. in between yeah. one and eleven. Yeah, minus one. They're gonna win on. They're gonna win on like a last second field goal. That's what we're getting out of this game. Be exciting, but that's what we're getting. Really, does the Royal have a kicker? Unlike NFL teams, that is a good question. Well, Actually, I think their kicker's kick. pretty good. Really? I think so. Standard Gutierrez. He's been yeah, there. For, he is pretty good. He's been there for like seven years. So <laughs> he's, I hope he's, he's got good. a post doctorate. Went to Bishop Sycamore. <laughs> How long's this guy been around? <laughs> No, he said he was good, Ed, not just (laughs) 20. (laughs) So UNLV is favored by one, according to sports books here. SP Plus has UNLV projected to win by 5.4. That's one I saw. So SP Plus is just a projection. It's not a sports book or anything. It's just a projection out there. So UNLV by one at sports books, 5.4 points. I think what you saw was the offshore lines that Vegas okay. Insider sometimes Which, uses. How can it be that far apart, though? Somebody in Europe is like, oh, UNLV, who the hell's Eastern <laughs> Washington? Never heard of them. Is someone in Turkey never seen the Rebels? So they're like, oh, the yes. Division One against FCS, yes. we might as well make it 11? Yes. UNLV is like genuine. Like they're just like, pound it, pound it. <laughs> yeah. They, they heard Marcus Arroyo say how great Allegiant Stadium was, and they're like, well, that's got to be at least an eight-point home field yes. advantage. So... Mark them up, minus 11, let's go. So those are your projections. How confident are you that UNLV actually wins the game? Oh, I think they're winning. I think they're winning by more than one. Okay. I, I that's that, that's pretty, sounds pretty confident. Oh, I think very confident. Okay. I'm very confident they're winning the game. I'm half scared that Marcus Arroyo is going to run it up because he went 0-6 last year. He should. Well, if he has a chance, he should, he he should absolutely pass should. 60 times and try to run it up. <laughs> So, okay, what makes you that confident? 
I just would hope in the second year of a system of a Division One team with a really good running back that they're good enough to beat an FCS team. If it's North Dakota State, I'm pausing here and probably and, – and it's not like to say Eastern Washington isn't good. They're a top-10 FCS team. You've made the point a couple times this week that the bottom of the Division One compared to the top of the FCS is very close, and maybe that's what why the line is that way. You know, kind of um, – it kind of uh, defines that in terms of being close in terms of the margin – I just can't believe that with the spring ball and that running back, Charles Williams, that they can't find a way to win. I just now I want to ask you something real quick here. Um, Royo was on his coach's show yesterday, and he might have let out a little secret that you and I, I think, have both thought Doug Brumfield was going to start. But on the coach's show, he said he had a minor injury. And, and missed, and Arroyo's one of these number guys, so he always knows how many snaps people miss in practice, and he said he would miss like 300, 400 snaps, which to Arroyo is a huge deal, and it probably is. So are we going to see Rogers start? I, I He threw that out there, and this is the first time he's ever kind of given any kind of information on anything, so I thought, oh, that's interesting. Why would he even throw that out there? Maybe. Maybe that's why it's still... He missed still like two, th- two or three days of practices, but yeah. according to Arroyo, that was like hundreds of snaps. Yeah. Maybe he's. Uh, maybe we only have a quarterback battle because Brumfield missed time. Maybe, maybe. Brumfield would have been the guy, but if he's 100% healthy and he's the best guy, you're still yeah. playing him even if he missed 100 or 200 snaps, aren't you? Like, you're not that concerned about 100 snaps in practice. Said three or 400. Three I want to know. I want to know who the guy is. Is Tate the one who's counting snaps because he's hurt and, will not, and isn't playing tonight? Well, no, his thumb's hurt. He can't. Oh, that's he, right. He can't, he, can't, oh, he can't hit the clicker. Yeah. He can't hit the calculator. He can't you have do to that. use another finger. Yeah, he can't do the calculator. Got to have Cameron Friel bring back Max Gillum as a grad assistant. <laughs> oh, man, that'd be great. Just to count on the clicker. What if he was only counting on the clicker, but people saw Max run onto the field like, oh, my God, he's back? He's coming back. He had a year of eligibility. <laughs> I know. He could have come back. He could have come back. But then they made him apologize for eating sushi off a naked model. Yeah. And he was like, you know what? I'm just going to live my life. It yeah. might. I, I genuinely <laughs> will not be surprised if Max Gillum winds up on like Love Island or some sort of MTV reality show. Well, as Tyler said, live the life and it's a much better life than the three of us. So good for him. <laughs> I expect you know me to win. I do not share the same confidence in you. And I think the biggest area of concern is, are they going to be able to stop Eastern Washington from throwing the ball? Last year, UNLV could not cover any pass that was over 20 yards. Like, if there was a pass that was over 20 yards and it was incomplete, it was because the quarterback made a poor throw, right? Carson Strong of Nevada came in here. and they You're thinking of that game. They, they, just, they could have just run all their receivers, nine routes, straight down the field the entire game. They would have scored on every possession. Yes. As long as Carson Strong completed one of three, they would have never had to punt the ball. How much better is UNLV's defense this year than it was last year? It should, I mean, it should it sh- be. It should be better. UNLV gave up, what was it, 37 points per game last year? 38. 38 points per game last year, which is even for UNLV. Jesus. Brutal. Like, even no, normally UNLV's defense gives up around 31 or 32. So that's an extra touchdown they gave up per game last year. So the defense should be better than it was last year. But at the same time, how much better? Like, are they just back to a defense that gives up 31, 32 points per game? Because that's still a bad defense. It's probably not going to stop a really good FCS quarterback. So that's my big concern is that Eastern Washington's probably going to be able to throw the ball around a lot in this game. Can UNLV get any pressure against an FCS offensive line? We'll find out right. because right. that could change the game. Like it might, it might not make a big difference if you can cover them down the field or not, if you're getting to the quarterback on a regular basis, but 
that's my big concern is the Eastern Washington passing game is going to keep Eastern Washington in this game and give them a legitimate chance to win it late where you look at UNLV. What's the strength of the team? It's not throwing the ball. No. We, we have not seen Doug Brumfield or Justin Rogers. No. Again, they both threw 21 and 22 passes last year. It's not like we got a huge sample size, but I don't think you can go into this game without somebody having won the quarterback job saying, oh, well, if they're in a two minute situation, they're definitely going to have UNLV yeah. march down the field and win the game. That's a huge question mark. So I, that's my biggest concern. I expect UNLV to win, but that's my biggest concern for UNLV. The other thing I think they better be aware of um, is that those, those ends better keep the edge. Because if that kid gets outside, I mean, yes. everything everyone says about him. I, I look, I, we only know what we read about this kid, but he's a very good player at that level. Um, probably could play for a lot of Division One teams. I don't know anything about his background. You just read about the Jared had the other day, the Walter Camp. He's obviously a really good player. So if you don't contain him, whether he throws fifty times or not, he gets around the edge. They, they, I assume they could be in trouble there, right? If he, if yeah. this guy is allowed well, to just do what he wants, and if UNLV's poor tackling still exactly. exists, which what is not a Marcus Arroyo only problem. That has been a no. problem for that goes back to Hauk and everyone yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that goes back to Baylor game. Yeah. UNLV typically has like one guy on defense. That's really good that tackling. And that guy makes all the tackles. Javen white. Yeah. The problem is it was uh Taolo to Lele for a couple of years before Javen white. The problem is, is that guy's got to make tackle 15 yards down the field. Cause they ran it away from him. So Sorry for him to run. Yeah, we'll find out who the one guy is this year for UNLV. The key is to have like three or four guys. Yes. That way yes. your defense still isn't good, right. but it's not getting torched on every play. You put them on either yeah. side of the field. <laughs> so that way it's like, oh, we got two guys coming at you. I'm sure there's other examples, but this is such a premier example of having a college and a pro team in town that have the same issues. It's funny. It's, it's kind of, it's I mean, I, look, there's got to be other, you know, I'm not going to sit here and compare every college team to pro team, but it is so stark, the similarity between can't play defense and can't tackle. Yeah. It's, it's amazing has, how similar they are in that sense. Hasn't been to a bowl game in two decades. John hasn't been to the Peach Bowl. <laughs> no, I mean, but it's true. That, that's like, yeah. the, it's like, oh, what's the problem? And they're like the same problems. Right. The defense is, and they've been bad for a long time too. Right. Like yeah. you, you right. have to go back a long time to find a good defense for either one of the yeah. teams. Like the only time the Raiders have had a decent defense the last decade was the year they went to the playoffs. And honestly, it wasn't that good of a defense. They just had a lot of turnovers that year. Right. And like their quarterback up, played really yeah, well. They gave up a ton of yards and a ton of points right. that year. They just actually forced turnovers to sort right. of negate that, yes. which works, but it's not actually transferable into the next season. It doesn't really predictive uh, into the next season. So two teams at Allegiant Stadium, they're going to give up a lot of points. The, the quote, by the way, from an Eastern Washington linebacker, it's not just one that essentially we're getting money for this school. We're going in in order to win at the end of the day. So exciting. It's exciting. It's almost a standard for us to go into those games and really compete. I love that a player on Eastern Washington is fully aware that his school is getting paid to go play right, this game. Right. I they love know that a check so is much. coming. A yes. check is coming. They know that UNLV is paying Eastern Washington for a win. That's what they know that. And they're like, yeah, whatever. We're going to go beat them anyways. We're yeah. going to take their check and beat them. Isn't that like, wasn't that Appalachian State's uh, like motto for a while there? It's like, we'll take the check and the victory. Against Michigan, yes. <laughs> Didn't uh, people stop playing them after they beat Michigan? I, yeah, right? I think, I think yeah. it's like, yeah. we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah, people are like, no, thank you. We're not doing that. You beat Michigan. We're not doing yeah. that. We're, we're Purdue. You think we're scheduling you? What are you talking about? I know. About? Bottom Big Ten teams like, what are you talking about? You just beat Michigan when Michigan was really, really good. Uh yeah, it's great. It's Ty Graham, the linebacker, that he would say that and that they would be aware that it's a bye game. I would assume 
you know, obviously everyone D, a D1 game they have is a buy game. That's how you make money. Uh, Do you think UNLV I, players know that UNLV is paying this, paying Eastern Washington? I, I'm surprised. I'd be more surprised if UNLV kids did than Eastern Washington kids did. Because they're, you know, considered the underdog FCS. Hey, when we play these guys, it's not just about money. That might even be something that Coach Aaron Best actually talks about. I, I have no idea. I mean, I would tell our kids, hey, everyone thinks this is a buy game and they're going to go in there and lose. I don't know if UNLV kids would even, one, care or know that. They would just think they're playing an FCS team. If you're Aaron Best, the head coach Eastern Washington, do you? I say it. Do you walk in the, your last speech before the game with a big, oh. giant check? I was going to say after says, you win, you go in with like one of those regular size checks and say, look, Marcus had to write this. <laughs> no, before the game, you go in front of the big Oh, checks you could do the before the game with the huge like, cardboard checks. Yeah, I, I can't remember the night. You know, he's paying him like $400,000 or something like okay. that. Whatever it's at, $400,000, and you rip it up and say, we don't need this. We're here to win. And then you run out on the field. Can we instead have a Royal at midfield before shaking his hand, like bending down, like writing the check and like <laughs> forcing the check against his knee and like having to write the check and like sign it and say a well, uh, good game. Royal might have to write it. The AD's gone. It's an interim. <laughs> Who signs the checks now? Can the interim AD sign checks? Because don't they don't know if he's going to be the full-time guy. So it's like, uh, Andy Grossman, come over here. <laughs> There's a, uh, sign the check. There's a stamp somewhere with DRS signature. <laughs> no, no. It's... Desiree, the last thing she did before leaving is let me sign that check. UNLV signs the check, but they sign it as, hey, Reb. That way, Eastern Washington can't cash it. Banks like, this guy's dead. Yeah. We can't well, cash the check from a dead guy. Especially if Eastern Washington wins. Like, we're not paying these guys. <laughs> Came in and won. They weren't supposed to do that. All right. Coming up next, who called Mike Mayock in the middle of his press conference yesterday? In, in all honesty, I'm a football guy. I, I leave the medical stuff to the medical people. And um, I think we did a pretty good job within our team in the offseason emphasizing knowledge and bringing our doctors in, letting the players make their own decisions. And we were pretty comfortable with where we ended up in the vaccination side. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. All right, Ed, who called Mike Mayock? I so badly wanted to hear him whisper, I said, no mayo with lettuce. Like someone was like delivering food to the complex, and he's like whispering, I said, no mayo. So I don't know who called the guy. It might have just been, so, who knows? I don't know. It's Caleb from Chick-fil-A. <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. Caleb. Yeah, Caleb. So Mike Mayock, during his press conference yesterday, excused himself in the middle of his, his own answer to take a phone call uh, and didn't give any details when he came back as to who that phone call was from i mean listen i know the media is not like super important but you're not just you don't see guys interrupt press conferences to take phone calls very often so it had to be something important right i, think so. I mean maybe I it was his food order what if it's his wife and he doesn't know what's going on and he needs to know if what's happening something's that's possible might be wrong. do you do you answer your phone every single time your kids call no matter what oh that's a good one if, they, if it happened right now as we're talking, yeah. no. Okay. If, if it's a double call, that's that's when I okay. So if my parents call me and I'm like, uh, all right, I can't answer this right now, but if, if they my, call immediately yes. back, I'm like, okay, wait, I gotta. If my kids immediately called back, I'd have to excuse myself because my my girlfriend's dad will answer the phone, no matter what, no matter and, who it is. No, if if like a, if one, she calls, if one of the kids calls, yes, yeah, 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 one of his kids yeah. calls, no matter what, and it's funny because they'll call him. To just ask him something not really important, just right. to ask him something. And then he'll be like two minutes in, be like, oh, I'm in a meeting. 
And they'll be like, well, you didn't have to talk to me for two minutes about what we're doing for dinner in two days. But he always picks but it up. But he always picks up. I'm just a terrible as like, father. Just as like a, are they stranded on the side of the road and no. I need to help them out? I'm a terrible. I might. Oof. I might pick it up in the first time for my daughter, but the, given the son is at home sleeping right now, and he, I don't know if he's ever leaving until he goes to his uh, doctor well, program, then I don't know if I'd answer for him. Well, no, if he called, then you know something's well, wrong. If he if he well, called now. If he calls right now, I'm answering right away because it's not 11 a.m. when he rolls out of bed right, so to go to work. There's yeah. got to be something wrong yeah, if he's, he's calling got, right exactly. now. Exactly. So I don't, I'm with Jared. Call right back. I have to answer at that point. I so, have to. Do you think McMahon got a double call? You think somebody called him once and then he hit no? I'm in a press conference and they called him right back and he said, oh, "I better take it." How He's old a, are his kids? Because that's what, oh, they're grown, but yeah. I don't know how old. Okay. I don't know how old. I, I mean, presumably grown. they can fend for themselves. All right. Yeah. No, I just I was hoping yeah. he was getting the well. Timmy got into a fight. No, no, they're grown. Um, I don't know who your it was. wife I, isn't answering and someone needs to come pick him up. <laughs> He's a pretty crafty guy with crafty wording, so I don't know what I don't know who it was. I mean, he might have answered his wife. And then step back in the back of his mind, like I'm not gonna tell these guys. I'm not gonna tell these guys. They probably think they probably think Cam Newton's agents on the other line, and he's coming to the Raiders. Oh, it's the Bears calling about the Khalil Mack trade. <laughs> yes. They say, you know what? We're gonna sit Justin Fields the whole year and tank again. How about you want Khalil Mack? That sounds good, doesn't it? So something Mike Mayock actually said yesterday was this: John and I would both tell you we feel like we need to be a playoff team. It only took John Gruden four years to feel like he needed to be a playoff team. But the better question on that for me, what are the actual repercussions if they aren't? I start with either Gruden or Carr or both. Mayock or Carr. Excuse me. I'm scared. Okay. Mayock. My, my bad. No, Gr- I mean, what the year is it? So Gruden 2021. So if it's 2029, then we might be talking <laughs> about Gruden. Uh, I will say Mayock or Carr or both. Because I think when you put yourself out there, before a season, you say, and it, I thought there was one quote where he said, we have to make the playoffs. Yeah. Well, when you say that, then it's not going to be Gruden. He's not going to be the fall guy. He's just not. Here's the fascinating part about that for me. They are in year four of John Gruden this season. It's year three of Mike Mayock. He was not here at the very beginning with John Gruden. But if you just look at the last three years since John Gruden took over, 21 of the 32 NFL teams have made the playoffs. That's 66%. It's not exactly hard to make the playoffs once in a three-year span in the NFL. And for the Raiders to be in the fourth year of the second John Gruden era and have not made the playoffs and are not projected to make the playoffs this year, projected to be close, but not projected to make the playoffs this year, this is an amazing way of them lowering expectations. Like, we're in year four and you're just now saying, hey, we need to make the playoffs. Yeah, you probably needed to make it in year two or three. Like, it's not, again, there's a lot of parody in this league. Huge. It's all it's, it's defined by parody. It's really hard to be bad yes. for a long time. Yes. Like, it's hard to be a Super Bowl contender. That's a hard thing to do. But to sneak into the playoffs, find your way in the playoffs once in four years, that's not a hard thing to right. do. And the Raiders haven't done it in the three years under John Gruden. And so this is a, to me, it's it's just a, it's a big sign of, hey, they, they, they've lowered expectations. I said this yesterday. I don't, I'm completely guessing and making a huge leap here, but it is the first time in, since we've covered him, starting with Reggie McKenzie and now Mike Mayock, it was John Gruden saying when they're talking about who to cut and who not, he said, Hey, when the GM tells you that this, and I, I just stopped and I thought, that is so interesting. He's never even insinuated. 
that anyone other than himself has more power, right? He's mm -hmm. never, and he might have just been nothing. But when someone says something like that and you've never heard him say, it's like, oh, it's year four, you haven't made the playoffs, and all of a sudden you're saying stuff like when the GM tells you, I'm like, no one anywhere believes John Gruden doesn't have final say in that franchise. No one believes that. All right, let me give you a hypothetical. You can laugh at this. What if John Gruden became self-aware and was like, wow, we've sucked for three years. Maybe I should let somebody else make the roster decisions. I have to laugh at that <laughs> yeah, because no. there's no way. That, that, would, that would suggest John Gruden does not know what he thinks he doesn't know what he's doing or thinks he's made a mistake. And I don't believe that for a second. I mean, they're playing Cleveland Furl on the second string. I that's, know. That's I at know. least some evidence. He'll explain that they made a it mistake. away. He'll explain it away some way. He's going <laughs> to explain it away because I just don't think. And I'm not even saying. I mean, tell me what you think. I don't. I'm not sitting here saying he shouldn't think he knows what he's doing because at that point, you're like, well, then you start doubting yourself. There's some issues here. Well, I think you can. You fairly can have, evaluate your decisions. Right, is what you're yes, say. and you can have the awareness. To know John Gruden's offense with the Raiders has been really good in the NFL. Like this second go around, they've been a good NFL offense. Yes. And I think it's fair to say they haven't exactly had the most talented players on the offense either. Like they have a good quarterback, not a great quarterback. They haven't had good wide receivers since they right. traded away Amari Cooper. Solid running back. Yeah. And the running back group end. is good and a great tight end, but like. They're not exactly a loaded offensive right. unit, but they've still been roughly yeah. a top 10 offense the last two years. Like John Gruden knows what he's doing in some aspects of running the football team. If he had the awareness to know, oh, wow, Cleveland Furl didn't work out. Jonathan Abram doesn't look like he's going to work out. Damon, Damon Arnett. Arnett doesn't look like he's going to work out. We reached on Alex Leatherwood again. Like if he had the awareness to be like, oh, I'm not very good at drafting players. Oh, look at this. All these free agent guys I spent money on. Trent Brown didn't work out. Maybe then you'd be like, oh, maybe I should take a step back well, and let somebody else make some. You're decisions. saying that the next thing we're going to hear after their O and tune is like, look, when the GM says defensive players. <laughs> well, that's actually my follow up is are we insinuating that John Gruden has some sort of Machiavellian level of he's slowly like pointing, these are all GM decisions. Oh. This. This is a me, yes. guys. He's so setting up the, the scapegoat. Scape yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh, that, but, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I might don't be... know if I buy that either because it's John Gruden. Yeah. And I don't think he puts that much thought into that. I stuff. might be completely off, but I'm telling you, I paused when I heard him say, if the GM tells you, and I'm like, you're the GM. <laughs> <laughs> you're the coach. You're the He's GM. You might be the owner, you know, minus the $15 million home. You might own the team for all we know. You certainly have the, at least the second best uh, bank account to anyone on that team. And I was talking about the owner. So when he said that, I'm like, that's really interesting. Is he, like Jared said, we have to accept that he's smart enough. And he's a smart guy. I'm sure at a lot of yeah. things, you, you have to accept he's smart enough to say, Man, I better start getting this narrative out there that Mike does a lot of this stuff. I, we might be totally guessing. I just think it's weird. For the first time in four years, I heard him give the insinuation that Mayock has power. Coming up next, David Roth joins the show. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Call the press box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. We're happy to talk to him. He just seems happy to talk to anyone. David Roth from The Defector is with us on the press box. Subscribe to The Distraction on Stitcher and use the promo code DISTRACT for a free month of Stitcher Premium. 
Hello, David. Would you say this week is the uh, pinnacle of being a Mets fan? It's like five or six years of being a Mets fan happening in four days. <laughs> like, I honestly, like, I, I wouldn't have thought that there was really a whole lot to surprise me there. Like, I've, you know, at this point, I've been in it long enough that, like, I would expect, uh, you know, like, I was alive when Brett Saberhagen, like, sprayed uh, fans with a, uh, like, a super soaker full of bleach. Like, that wasn't great, but I remember it. Uh, you know, I didn't think that there would be, but I thought that was the end of the innovation in that space. You know, like, I didn't think that there was going to be, like, a like a real-time, uh, like, sort of, like, a major league scenario, except for the mean owner is me. I hadn't thought that that was something that was in the offing, if I'm being honest. You know what the funny thing? Well, I don't know if it's funny, but Zach Scott attends the party oh, at the owner's house. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reports I heard the show before say he left at 8.30 or 9, and yet they found him sleeping in White Plains in the whole 2018 Toyota at 4.30. So I guess Zacher went to the bar or something, or he was completely hammered if that much time passed. It's really hard to – that part of it is a little unsettling, especially because it's a classic Mets thing, too, that it's like it was probably Cohen himself that was like, everybody <laughs> left my house at 9. I, well, I can't make that clear. Like, I was, I had been in bed. So, like, this is a very Mets thing, too, that, like, any chance you get to bury somebody, like, you just got to twist. It's like if someone offers you, like, a slice of pizza or whatever. Like, you don't have to be hungry. You're like, oh, I love pizza. That's how the Mets are with, like, submarining employees. But there's a – but there's a really good question there in terms of, like, seven hours. Like, yeah, I've been to White Plains, New York, man. Like, there's, it's just, like, maybe there's, a, like, um, like, a cheesecake factory or something. But they don't, like, last call at the cheesecake factory is not 3.45 a.m. <laughs> okay. On the uh, thumbs down because the fans are booing, so that Javi Baez is like, well, we're going to boo you right back. <laughs> With our hands. <laughs> okay. The Mets should keep doing that, right? Like, that's something they should actually continue to do. I feel like that would fit in well with New York fans. The only thing that I don't approve of about that whole thing is Baez bizarrely choosing to snitch on himself after a game. (laughs) If they did that for the whole rest of the year, like, if it turned out that they'd been doing that for, like, a decade, that that was, like, the one cultural constant was, like, when you get traded to the Mets, they're like, all right, so, like, anytime you get a double, like, we just really... Our thing is that we know the fans get mad when we're winning. So, like, just do a hand gesture. They hate that. (laughs) Like, if that turned out to be the case, that would be perfectly fine and understandable to me. I don't know why he had to go out there and be like, well, we're really sad and angry all the time. Uh, So that's why when it seems like we're celebrating, that's what we're we're performing that. Like, it just kind of took the, you know, the wind out of the sails a bit. But they've also won. uh, I mean, they're playing the Marlins and the Nats. Like, they still... I mean, you saw them against the Dodgers and the Giants. Like, they, they're not a good team. But they against worse teams, uh, like, you know, there's a little bit of, of dead cat bounce possibility there. Like, they could they could still finish this season with, like, 85 wins, and it would look mildly disappointing when you look at it. And nobody would know that there was, like, a whole week in there where uh, just everybody was physically on fire the entire time. <laughs> would you like to have attended at any time in your career Bishop Sycamore? I think as a young person trying to get a D1 scholarship, uh, it sounds like all of these things. Dave McKenna wrote a story for us, I guess, at the old site about like one of those uh, D.C. sort of fake high schools. It's easier to do them for basketball because you really only need to have like 15 guys, you know. Like in this case, it didn't seem like they had that many more than 15 guys, (laughs) which like for a football team is not 
what you want. <laughs> but it sounded like a complex had an interview with a guy that had played there, and it sounded like jail. Yeah. <laughs> like, they yes. were just, like, yes. in, like, if, you know, he was sort of, you know, like, yeah, you know, I thought we'd be practicing, like, the weight room wasn't great. Also, there were knife fights all the time. <laughs> and it's like, that's not, <laughs> like, a high school experience that any, especially, like, these guys had all graduated. They're just, like, 19-year-olds hanging out, and, like, this was what they did instead of junior college, was they lived in, like, a red roof inn until they got kicked yeah. out because no one was paying their bill. And then they fought. Well, and we thought it was hilarious that the coach, who's now been fired, what a shock, said, don't call Who me coach. Him? Call me. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> All of a sudden, this executive director appeared, uh, probably from the abandoned building that Tyler found on Google Maps, which is the school. <laughs> but the head coach says, please call me Bishop instead of coach. And we were wondering, like, if he coached with Bishop hat and, and like, robes and stuff. It was so I preposterous on every level. Every time I clicked on a story, it got dumber. I know it was incredible. Like we we did wind up running a story on it, but we for a day we were talking about it. Like, so should we write about this? And it was like, for one thing, it's happening so fast that it's like you don't want to be the person to be like, I discovered that they're based in an abandoned building because like <laughs> the next moment, you know, like as soon as you post that, they're like, the abandoned building is actually an active Pizza Hut, you know, and you're just like, oh, all right, <laughs> so I'll tear that one up. But in this case, I, something about the name Bishop Sycamore has really stuck with me too because it's like. It's very fake, right? <laughs> like the idea of like the idea of like like Bishop Charles Sycamore, like he's a cardinal appointed him. Like that's not I don't think like it's not a name. But it is it is absolutely like if you ever played like Mad Libs when you were a kid where they were just like like it's you know, noun that sounds prestigious, other noun that sounds prestigious. So it's just like I'll pick a cleric oak. Like <laughs> Would you at any point when you were like between the ages of 19 and 25 wanted to go back and play high school sports to see if you could dominate? I absolutely. I mean, I had a lot of a little failure to launch issue after college. And so there was definitely a dark moment. I remember uh, it was like basically the thing that inspired me to, to get a real job and move out of my parents' house. So I graduated, went home. Uh, was doing like one task a day for my parents, you know, that like I would have to like water the garden and I would do that like 30 seconds before my dad got home from work and be like, yeah, terrific. Nailed it. And I, at one point I was, uh, thinking about it, you know, like I'd like pitched in like middle school and stuff like that. Like I was not, uh, there was no like college interest for me as a, as a baseball player, but I went out back and we have a, like a plastic shed. And I was like, you're going to learn to throw a knuckleball, and you're not going back in until you figure out how to do it. <laughs> and I went out there, and I threw for like an hour trying to throw knuckleballs. And I, I tore my hands up. The ball was just like half the time I would just like three-hop the shed from like 20 feet away. And I was like, well, all right, maybe you should just do a resume instead. That seems like it might be more your speed <laughs> because this is not working out. Would you sign Cam Newton? For what purpose? Well, that's that's I think that's the best question. We're not. I mean, I think he has to be a backup, but in his mind, he's probably a starter. So, and I heard this on three, three to four shows yesterday. Like, okay, here comes the drama if he's only the backup. Yeah, I think that's the issue that's probably going to hold him back. I mean, like, I didn't see a whole lot last year that suggested that uh, there was a great deal left in the tank, honestly, which is a shame because I, his peak, as brief as it was, I mean, it was basically two seasons. Uh, like was as cool as anybody that I can remember watching play quarterback. I mean, he was just like, whatever. It was like McNabb, but like with a ton of swag, you know, like just a, a really fun guy to watch. And at this point, like, I don't know, you know, what gets that back. I don't think new England was necessarily like the place or the system for him to sort of like 
revive himself. But I think it's it's weird. It's like with the uh, with a lot of other sports now too. I mean, I think there's teams that probably would improve if they installed Cam Newton as their quarterback. Still, you know that there's like you know some NFL teams that just are, are not in great shape, but like more or less intentionally. But they're not going to do that. You know, like is he worse than Sam Darnold at this point? Like I don't know, but I think that like part of the Panthers' plan is to just let Sam Darnold get them the second or third pick of the draft. David Roth with us from the Defector. So I don't know if you saw the story in golf where they're going to start kicking people out if they yell Brooksy at Bryson or uh, at uh, Bryce DeChambeau. Um, is that more or less petty than Mets fan or Mets players booing their own fans? <laughs> I think it's um, it's funnier. Although it's like one of those things where like it's it's just played enough at this point that I'm like sort of beginning to lose patience with it. Like I think it's time to innovate in that space. But there's something about I see I think it's funnier because they know that DeChambeau hates it and that he can't like tune it out. You know, like there's something about that that makes it like if you're gonna heckle a guy, like there's two ways that you can approach it, right? Like for me, like when I was a kid and I would like heckle people at Nets games where there was like a thousand people there. Like the thing that I learned and the reason I stopped doing it was like, they could hear me. And I didn't really <laughs> like that. Like I wanted to yell at Brad Lowhouse, but there was a time when I yelled at Brad Lowhouse and he like looked at me <laughs> and, <laughs> and I felt bad. Cause I was just, I was like, you're terrible Lowhouse. And he like looked over and was like, come on, dude. Like, I'm just trying to get the rebound that you're like the team that you're cheering for is obviously going to miss on this foul shot. Like you just let me do my job and I'll let you be 13. And that was fine. Like, but I learned a lesson there. I think that, but if you are yelling at someone that you actually don't like, which it seems like every golf fan hates Bryson DeChambeau, then like at that point, like if you know, he's going to respond to it, then I feel like it's on him at some point to just like cool out a little bit. Like the angrier he gets, the worse it's going to become. And the idea of like that they're changing the rules because he gets so upset to me is like, it, it just makes him a more like more of a heel, you know? Finally, did you see, because New York is bad enough to uh, get around in, did you see the pipes or whatever it was, the uh, water flowing through the subway system and knowing being able to get out of the U.S. Open? Like, what happened? What would you do in that situation if you're down at the subway to start swimming? We were following that yesterday. Like, so uh, it was really bad here. Like, bad enough that the first thing I saw this morning, like, our neighborhood mostly just looks cleaner. Like we got very lucky. Uh, they just basically got power washed. Uh, there's a lot of the trees outside our apartment just had like plastic bags in them for a really long time. Those are all gone now. So those have been carried out to sea, uh, which I guess is, is a net gain. But the train stuff with the, the U S open was like, by the time the, um, the Sloan Stevens Coco golf match ended, it was like already very bad. Like we got three inches of rain in one hour Oof. between nine and 10 which is like, it's a record. It's scary. Like the system isn't built to take that. And like, you know, that's a whole other more depressing uh, segment for another show. But in this case, like they just started the next match then. So as far as I know, people slept in the Arthur Ashe tennis center. Cause it was like, there was just no other way. Like you could, there's a, um, there's a holiday in express that you can walk to. I've done it myself uh, for karaoke night after Mets games. Again, a whole different segment, uh, but that's like, it's not a big hotel. And there were, I think still thousands of people there watching it. So that's a, a major, major blooper that I think we're going to hear a lot about. I'm glad everybody's safe. I mean, people did die in the flooding, but none of them, you know, none of that happened at the Arthur Ashe tennis center. Right. It's just to me, like the idea of like, you can't, 
give people a refund? Like, or they need to see like Stefano Tsitsipas like take a long bathroom break? They need that so bad that they're going to wind up sleeping mm-hmm. in an arena. But yeah, whatever. I, maybe I don't like tennis enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, he's David Roth from The Defector. Go work on that knuckleball some more. We want to see right. it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. See you. <laughs> see you. Go work on a knuckleball, Ed. Come on. You could have made it pro. Let's not even That's... start. Let's not even start with any kind of reference to baseball this morning. They're in first place. What are you mad at? Let's not even start. Jared says to go to break. Everyone was considered. Uh, that was part of the production what's his you know let's start start talking about this and then also is he vaccinated or not uh can i say that that was a decision maker was certainly in consideration we're back to the press box morning show with ed graney and tyler bischoff be part of the conversation on the finley kia text line at 69187 finley kia come see a kia on west sahara by the way there's a Josh Jacobs meet and greet coming up at Ford Country, 280 North Gibson and Henderson, September 11th. Q Patriot's from Radio Day. Nation Radio will be down there. So if you want to meet Josh Jacobs at Ford Country, keep that on your schedule. September 11th, uh, he will be doing a meet and greet with Raider Nation Radio. Now, some pettiness in the NFL or thorough research, however you want to phrase this. Uh, there was a story uh, in uh, NOLA.com. About the Saints and why they picked Jacksonville to play their week one game against Green Bay. They are relocating because of the hurricane that hit New Orleans. And week one, they are supposed to be at home against Green Bay. But instead, that game's going to be played in Jacksonville. Now, Miami, Tampa, Jacksonville, and Dallas are all on the road in week one. So they could have conceivably played at any of those places. Dallas is hosting a concert. So they were eliminated, but all three of the Florida teams could have hosted the Saints Packers in week one. And the reason that the Saints chose Jacksonville, the least attractive of the three cities, is because of this. According to the story, the Saints had a staffer look up Green Bay flights on Expedia and compare the difference in cost and itineraries between Jacksonville, Miami and Tampa. Predictably, Jacksonville was the most difficult and costly destination for Packers fans. Oh, I totally believe it. That's incredible. I totally believe it. They deciding on yes. where they were going to relocate yeah. their home game. They had somebody look up and say, All sure. right, what is it gonna which location is gonna cost Packer fans the yeah. most to travel? That's where we're going. League is uh, that league is completely about any advantage you can find. That is incredible. I, it's amazing. And by the way, I've been to Jacksonville. Nothing in there. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> they were so worried that, like, Packer fans, on what like, What are we talking, like, two weeks' notice or something like yeah. that? We're going to, like, be like, oh, they're playing in Miami now. I've always wanted to go to Miami. And they just book a flight to Miami, a two-weeks' notice, and take over the stadium. And now the Saints are playing a road game for their first home game or something like that. So worried about it. They had somebody look up flight prices on Expedia to compare them. That's phenomenal. Should have gone to Tampa. There's a few establishments there that they might've never left and <laughs> they would have never made the game. I, I mean, I was just going to say like, they should have just looked up. Where does spirit not fly to? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, one of the reasons from the story that they didn't pick Tampa was they were also concerned because they're in the same division as the Buccaneers that there would be Buccaneer fans that would show up just to cheer against the Saints. 
I'm gonna say no on that. I'm gonna say I'm not. If you're if you're a Buccaneer fan, you're probably paying enough money just to watch your team. Never mind paying an NFL rate to go watch some other team. I I, I mean I don't I don't. Buccaneers play on Thursday. You got no. A I know there's. I know they have an opportunity days to off. do it. Yeah. I know, but I would. I'd put on the ticket and sit home and watch 12 straight games instead of worrying about going to see the Packers. You watch the Buccaneers beat the Cowboys on Thursday. A few days later, you go cheer against the Saints. What a weekend. I mean, I believe every bit of this story. Imagine if you could one day watch the Dodgers win a game and then the next day go watch the Padres lose. We going to break? Be a hell of a weekend for you. Why are you afraid to talk about the Dodgers? Because something happened at the end of the show. I'm going to tell you, and I have to admit it, and it's going to kill me to admit. Oh, That's a tease. Something happened last night. For the first time in what? Four months? April 25th. All right. You know the date (laughs) off the top of your head. For the first time since April 25th, the Dodgers are in first place in the NL West, and you're mad. And I... I'm mad because I... used the wrong scissors? No, no. Don't don't tell us yet. Keep it as a great tease. I have realized something about myself, and I'm not happy, and I have to accept it. So... I will tease you to that, and it was it was based on someone something someone said last night at my house, and I had to take a good long look in the mirror. Wow! Yeah, First I'm envisioning steps. you actually looking in the mirror about it too, just being... from the couch. Yeah, no, from my chair. You can't my leave chair's it. like. 